are digging into God's Word to discover uh, what it can tell us about uh, loving like Jesus loved. And we're using 1 Corinthians 13, those great descriptors of love to kind of guide our journey. But we're we're laying against that, uh, the life of Jesus and how Jesus fleshed uh, these uh, various things out along the way. And so as we continue in that that journey, I wanted to start this morning with a very, very simple question. Is there anyone who irritates you? Uh, yeah. And say at this point you're thinking this is a trick question. It's church, right? <laughs> I mean, you know, yeah. Those people, we all have those people in our life, right? I mean, you know, that person that there's just something about their voice. I mean, it, you know, every time they talk, it just kind of sends something up your spine, and it just, oh, yeah. And their laugh, I mean, oh. It seems so fake, and it's not genuine at all. And and, and you, you know, people that you know those folks that you work. Some of those folks you work with, they, I mean, they, 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 they. Can you not be on time even once? I mean, even once. I mean, what is up with that? I mean, once in a while we understand, but every single time you have excuse after excuse after excuse. I mean, and speaking of work, the rest of us are busting our. You know what? And you just kind of lollygag and show up, and then you want to be around to take the credit when things go good, and you're always there for the party. But yeah, oh yeah, and by the way, at the party, you come, you drink, you eat, you do all that stuff, and you're never around to help clean up. Is there anybody that irritates you? Right? Anybody in your life? The reality is. We live in a fallen world full of fallen people, including people who irritate us. (laughs) They annoy us at times. They make us feel angry. They trigger an anger response. And by the way, there may be some folks that, that they're putting your name in that blank right now too, right? Because we all rub each other the wrong way. We all can irritate one another, and there there are certain things about certain people in certain situations that just irritate us. And then we read a passage like 1 Corinthians 13, 5. Love is not irritable. And what am I supposed to do with that? I mean, what is that? look like? What does it mean to love like Jesus loved in a fallen world full of fallen people who irritate one another, annoy one another, and sometimes trigger all sorts of feelings of anger in one another? Well, I want us to go to an episode out of the life of Jesus. It's actually a very, very familiar story. It's recorded in all four Gospels. We're going to look at uh, how Mark recorded it in Mark chapter 6. It's the feeding of the 5,000. And my guess is for many of us in the room, we, we've read it. We, we kind of know about it. But I'm going to invite you this morning to maybe look at it with a little bit of a different lens on. Instead of focusing just kind of primarily on, uh, on this, this miraculous feeding and as not to diminish that at all, I want us to look at it this morning kind of through the lens of irritation and to kind of understand the setting 
and kind of watch how the disciples responded, how Jesus responded, and what that might teach us about those irritating people and situations in our life. It's a very familiar story that starts off with a divine assignment. It starts off with a divine assignment. If you back up to verse 7, you find that Jesus is sending out the 12, this core group of apostles. And he's sending them out two by two. And he, he's given them authority to teach and to, uh, and to heal and to uh, cast out demons. So in verse 12, so they went out and proclaimed that people should repent. Verse 13, and they cast out many demons and anointed them with oil, many who were sick and healed them. And so they're, they're having this, this incredible, incredible uh, time of ministry, this incredible time of pouring out in the lives of people. And, and in, the, in the midst of that, Mark tells us that, that the word comes about the death of John the Baptist. And so this one who has been this significant figure, kind of in this, in this movement of God, this one who has been a significant figure even in the life of, of Jesus himself as their relatives, has been beheaded, he's been put to death, and that news is kind of sitting there heavy as well. And so they return from this mission, and verse 30 says, the apostles returned to Jesus and told him all that they had done and taught. And so they've been pouring out, and they've been investing, they've been traveling. They, they come back, and there's this news of, of the death of, of John the Baptist, and Jesus immediately recognizes that they have a need for rest. They have a need for rest. And he said to them, come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. For many were coming and going, and they had no leisure even to eat. I mean, they're under, under incredible stress. They, they've been in a stressful time. They've received stressful news. The, the pressure is continuing at that moment. And Jesus says, let's, let's pull away. Let's pull away to a desolate place, and let's get some rest. Sounds like a great plan so far, right? Everybody's all in. They hop in the boat, headed off, but then there is this unexpected interruption. An unexpected interruption. Let's just continue to follow Mark's narrative. And they went away in the boat to a desolate place by themselves. Now many saw them going and recognized them, and they ran there on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. And when he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. So here, here we have this, instead of getting to a desolate place where we're going to have rest, there's another crowd. There's another crowd with needs, and they're pressing in upon them. And, and Jesus doesn't like just, just say, get out of here and take them off. No, he begins to teach. The crowd continues to stay there. And then the disciples offer what seems to be a relatively reasonable suggestion, Right? Look how Mark continues there. And when it grew late, his disciples came to him and said, This is a desolate place, and the hour is now late. Send them away to go into the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. Pretty reasonable suggestion, would you not think? I mean, after all, we didn't come here to, like, do stuff for a crowd. We didn't come here to teach. We didn't come here to feed. We, we came here to get away. That was our agenda. Send them away. We don't have the resources to take care of their needs. 
But Jesus had a surprisingly unreasonable response, right? How often he does that to us. But, verse 37 starts, when there's a but, you know something's coming, right? But, he answered them, you give them something to eat. And they said to him, shall we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give it to them to eat? I mean, Jesus, do you understand what you're asking? This is like the equivalent of 200 days wages, almost a year's worth of wages. And you're wanting us to kind of come up with that out of thin air. We don't have the resources to take care of this. This is an unreasonable response to this need. And then there is an invitation an invitation for them to experience the abundant provision of God. The abundant provision of God. Let's finish out the story. And he said to them, how many loaves do you have? Go and see. And when they found out, they said, five and two fish. Not nearly enough, right? Then he commanded them all to sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups by hundreds and by fifties. A lot of scholars think they, uh, the common way would have been in a semicircle, kind of 50 on the front row, 50 on the back row. So they would have been in these, these groups of, of 100. And by taking the, the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing and broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before the people. And he divided the two fish among them all. And they all ate and were Satisfied, And he took up 12 baskets full of broken pieces of the fish. And those who ate the loaves were 5,000 men. This incredible intervention of God. Even though they didn't have enough resources on their own to meet the need. He said, start with what you have. Offer it to God and look what God is able to do. And they were able to experience the abundant provision of God. Not only to meet the needs of those people, but there was an abundance left over. This 12 baskets, perhaps significant in the sense that there was one for each of them. Maybe a a reminder for them to carry around of how God could and would provide. Now, I told you to let's look at this through the lens of irritability. So let's look at irritability on display and see if maybe you and I can identify with some of these things. First question, we're just going to ask a series of questions here. Who gets irritated? The answer is anyone can. Anyone can. I mean, think about it. Here are, the, here are the, the core 12 disciples. Jesus has been investing in their life, pouring in their life. He, he has anointed them for ministry. They've seen God do incredible things through them as they've taught, as they've healed, as they've cast out demons, all of these things. I mean, you would think if anybody was above getting irritated, it would be somebody like that, right? Somebody that got to travel in that circle. Oh, no matter how spiritual you are, No matter how gifted you are, no matter how much you have experienced God working in and through you, you can get irritated. And when I get irritated, and that irritated irritation kind of oftentimes is the gateway to anger, and what I begin to recognize is that irritation is really a failure to love. That I begin to see it for what it really is. That when I get irritated, it's a failure to love. Jesus saw the crowd. His response was not irritation. Mark says he had compassion on them. 
because they were like sheep without a shepherd. When I experience irritation with another person, it begins to signal to me that there's a, there's a failure of love. There's a, a, an absence, a lacking, a, a low level of love operating in this encounter right now. Anyone can get irritated. Well, when? When am I likely to get irritated? Well, there are several times, but notice the context here. They were tired and hungry. They were tired and they were hungry. They had been investing. They had been traveling. They had been pouring out mentally, emotionally, physically, spiritually. They came back and they were expecting rest. They were expecting renewal. And in the midst of that, they're, they're tired. They haven't eaten anything too. Why did they know everybody else was hungry? It's because they were hungry, right? I mean, a couple of fish weren't going to go very far for 12, 13 of them either, right? I mean, these are grown men for goodness sakes, right? So they're tired and hungry. And one of the things that I begin to be aware of is that physical weakness can sometimes set us up for spiritual danger. Physical weakness can sometimes set us up for spiritual danger. That's why we've talked in other settings about just paying special attention when I'm hungry, when I'm angry, when I'm lonely, when I'm tired. Because sometimes those physical weaknesses can set me up for a spiritual danger. When I'm tired, when I'm hungry, oftentimes that's when kind of my, my love tank, if you use that picture, is running low. Add to that stress. The stress of all that they've been under, the stress of the needs of that crowd, the stress, the weighing heavy of the news that they've been dealing with, that, that, that John the Baptist is dead. You lay all of that together and you have this mixture of people who are, who are set up to be very vulnerable, to be irritable. But I want you to notice one other thing about this. We've already alluded to it. But they're also coming off a very successful time of serving the Lord. I mean, God has been using them powerfully to, to, to communicate about the need for repentance, uh, to communicate uh, uh, setting free, being cast out demons and healing, all of these things. I mean, I mean they are, this is maybe one of the highlights of their life in terms of serving the Lord. And what we begin to realize is that some of our strongest temptations come right after we've been busy serving the Lord. And some of you, some of you could tell stories about that. You, know, you come off a time where you've, you've just been investing in other people's lives. Maybe you come off a mission trip or a camp or something, and you're physically kind of worn. You've been spiritually pouring out. And in that moment, you don't recognize perhaps your vulnerability because you're kind of feeling like, "Woo, man, this has been so great. But what you learn, if you want with the Lord, is that very, very often, that coming off of a season, particularly a, a stretch of serving the Lord, that can be a moment when, when we can be very, very vulnerable, when our irritability factor can be pretty high. Part of learning to love like Jesus learned to love is to say, hey, I, I, I'm vulnerable to irritability. I'm vulnerable to operating with a low level of love. And there are times in my life where, where I'm probably even more susceptible to that, and I have to be aware of that. And in those moments, I have to learn that when I am weak, the only way to be strong is through the power of God. The only way to be able to love someone in some of those irritating situations when my reserves are running low is to lean into the power of God, lean into his love, his grace, his mercy, his power. Sometimes I just even have to pray, God, I need you to love them through me today. 
Because quite honestly, <laughs> I don't have it in me. I don't have it in me. I want to do a lot of other things. Love's not one of them right now, right? I need you to love them through me today. But I want you to see in the disciples, how does irritability treat others? And their answer was, get away. Send them away. And oftentimes that's what irritability wants to do, right? Uh, get that irritating person out of my sight, right? I mean, you are, all, you are on my last nerve. Just get, 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 get out of here. Get away, right? Because that's, that's how we want to treat people. Irritation. You are bothering me. You are irritating me. And I come to that humbling realization that sometimes I can be less concerned about other people's needs and more concerned about how those needs are affecting me. Man, that's humbling. Instead of being concerned about their need, in my flesh, I instinctively think, how is this going to mess up my schedule? How is this going to affect me? That's what a lack of love does. And I just want them to go away. Get out of my sight. Get out of my schedule. Maybe we won't say it as blatantly as the, the disciples said, send them away. But we kind of operate that way. Get away from them. But I want you to see one other thing about irritability from this episode. And the irritability not only impacts how we see and respond to other people, but it also impacts how we respond to God. That, that in this moment that Jesus, Jesus gives them this command. Now remember, Jesus is the one who had just previously sent them out and said, I'm going to give you power to do all of these things, all of these things that you don't have the ability to do in and of yourself. And then he says, I want you to do this. And their response is really almost sarcasm, right? I mean, it really is when you think about it. Shall we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread, get something to eat? Have you seen our bank account? Huh. Hey. You ask too much. Not possible. I came here for rest, not to open up a restaurant. And in our irritability, we can, we can be, get exasperated with God. God, why do you keep letting this happen? God, why, why, is, why is this happening to me? God, you're, you're, you're sovereign. You could, you could rearrange things. Why this? Why now? Why this person? Why do I have to keep putting up with this? Why do I have to keep dealing with this? Nobody else is having to deal with this. Nobody else is having to put up with this. And we begin to be exasperated and even can, can devolve into anger toward God. See, rather than turning to God for help, God, I need you to love them through me. We begin to exaggerate our problems and get exasperated with God. It's always going to be this way. It's horrible. Nobody else has to deal with this. And we get exasperated with God instead of looking to him for help. Irritability is directly connected to our relationship with God. 
Our anger not only hurts other people, but it hinders our relationship with God. And sometimes we think, it's not that big a thing. It's just a personality thing. But it impacts our life. It impacts our relationship with God and our relationship with others. But notice the contrast. The contrast of Jesus here. And this is where I want us to to, to just kind of hone in on how he responded to, to basically the same situation. How did he love like the disciples weren't able to in that moment? Well, love moves toward other people. Love moves toward other people. Where irritability wants to get people away. Get out of my way. Get out of my sight. Get out. Just quit having your stuff mess with my life. Jesus saw this crowd. And instead of dispersing them, instead of saying, hey, we're just here for rest, goodbye, he moved toward them. He moved toward them because he had compassion on them. And again, here's that humbling realization is that, is that when, when I, I don't operate in this way, when I don't operate in this way, it, it is just because there's, there's an absence of love. Love moves toward people. Secondly, love trusts God to provide what's needed. Love trusts God to provide what's needed. The disciples did not have in and of themselves the resources to be able to do this, but they took whatever they had and they they entrusted it to God and said, God, here it is. Use it in any way that you can. I I don't think it's enough, but it's it's all available to you. And there are many times we feel like, I'm not enough. I don't have enough smarts. I don't have enough intelligence. I don't have enough answers. I don't have enough whatever. But God, what I do have, I offer to you. And I want to trust for you to provide through me. See, love finds its strength to serve by trusting. By trusting in the love and in the power and in the grace of God. It doesn't trust in its own capacity, but it trusts in a capacity greater than its own. It trusts in the love and the power and the grace of God. But love loves even the loveless. Even the loveless. Here's something I want you to see. That Jesus did not treat the disciples as they treated him. Think about that. Think about that. Jesus didn't treat the disciples. They treated him with some exasperation, with some perhaps even sarcasm, some questioning of why did he allow this to happen? Why is he continuing to, to kind of make this problem worse and not, not sending these people off? He didn't beat them up. He used the opportunity to build them up, to teach them something about the sufficiency of God in that situation. And so he, not, he could have done it without them, right? But he involves them in the process. Verse 42, they all ate and they were satisfied. They took up the 12 baskets. They're the ones who had them sit down. He involved them. They didn't deserve it. But he reached out. If you and I are going to love like Jesus loved, there's going to be people in our life who irritate us who don't deserve to be loved. But Jesus loved them anyway. And there are going to be times when there are people in our life who do not deserve to be loved. But we don't treat them as they deserve. 
We choose to treat them the way that Jesus treated us. And that leads to the fourth observation. Love always flows. Love flows out of my experience of being loved by God. It flows out of my experience of being loved by God. And we're going to say this over and over and over again in different ways throughout this series. But my capacity to love like Jesus loved is centered around my personal experience of being loved by God. We love because he first loved us. I love God in response to God's initiating love for me. God enables me to love other people the way that Jesus loved other people as his love flows through me. But it is centered upon my experience, my security in the love of God. Because here's what I want you to remember this morning. All, all of my irritating sins are covered by the cross of Jesus. Would you sit with that for just a moment? I mean, how irritating. Do my sins have to be in the eyes of God, God of perfect love and perfect holiness? Have you ever thought about it that way? All of my irritating sins are covered. Covered by the cross of Jesus Christ. And when I understand that, not just on an intellectual level, not that I can just spit it out in a Bible study, but it begins to grip my heart that all of my irritating sins were covered by Jesus. That begins to free me up to love like Jesus loved. Said another way, God's love for me enables me to love someone else with that same kind of love. God's love for me, when I understand it, when I rejoice in it, when I revel in it, when I remind myself of it day after day after day. That's why somebody say, preach the gospel to yourself every single day. When I remind myself of that, that powerful love of God that covered all of my irritating sins, God's love for me enables me to love someone else with that same kind of love. Even, even that person that you thought about when I first said, is there anyone who irritates you? God's love can enable me to love someone else with that same kind of love. Thinking about the message and, and reading, was reminded of a story that kind of just is a great illustration of this, and it seems appropriate with the Major League Baseball playoffs going on. Steve Manafort is a lifelong Philadelphia Phillies fan, season ticket holder along with some family and friends. And he was attending a game one night with family, with friends, and he got that moment that as a Major League Baseball fan, you know, you dream of, he was able to, to reach over and make this great catch. He got to catch a foul ball. That wasn't so interesting. What was really interesting is what happened next. Check out that video. He does go after him there. And delivers a fastball. A shot to the upper deck. Caught by that fan right there. Nice grab. Oh, wow. Whoa, huh? There it goes. <laughs> well, she's only doing what she sees them do all yeah. the time. 
and that is to throw the ball back on the field. But you know when that happens, the parent is never able to catch them before no. they end up doing it. And there's a whole host of fans underneath that gentleman right there who are looking for another souvenir. Well, he just missed that ball as it fouls that ball. Oh, nice grab. That's a Five really back. good grab. She says, well, let me have it. Let me have it, Dad. Thanks. Well, here it goes. That little girl is going to be looking for baseball for the rest of the game. <laughs> wow. You know, interesting. He was interviewed later, and he said, I just grabbed her because I didn't want her to think she'd done anything wrong. Now, do you think he was irritated that that foul ball that maybe he had been wanting to catch all his life got thrown back into the stands? Sure he was. But how did he respond? He didn't curse her. He hugged her. Why? Because his heart was filled. A daddy's heart was filled with love. For his little girl. When I respond to irritating people and irritating situations with anger, it's a sure sign that my heart's not filled with love. And when I have experienced, when I revel in the love of God for me, it enables me not to respond with harshness, but with a hug. How about you? Who are some of those irritating people in your life that God wants to love through you? Let's pray to him together, please. Oh, Father, how we praise you and thank you. Lord, that you, through the cross of Jesus Christ, covered every one of our irritating sins. Father, that there is, there is not, a, not a sin in our lives that the cross of Jesus Christ was not sufficient for. And Father, it, in all of our, our rebellion and all of our ignoring you, of all of our pushing you to the periphery of our life, you, you, you've looked on us with compassion. And you've reached out to us in love. And you have sought to envelop us in the arms of a loving Heavenly Father. And Lord, we know that doesn't mean ignoring stuff. Doesn't mean not dealing with stuff. You tell us over and over again. Jesus modeled that over and over again. But it means we respond not out of a heart of anger, but out of a heart of love. And so, Father, today, teach us to love like Jesus loved. And Father, I pray very specifically for some folks in here right now. Lord, let me give voice and just pray. Father, would you, would you just touch hearts and minds and lives right here, right now? Not, not to be religious, not to, to, to turn over a, a leaf to do better, but Father, to, to experience in the depth of their being the love of God that only comes through Jesus Christ. Father, let today be the day when someone opens their life to your love through repentance and through faith in Christ and Christ alone. Let today be the day that they experience in your rescuing, saving, transforming love. 
And Lord, for those of us in this room that name the name of Jesus, Father, I pray, Lord, that you would teach us to love like Jesus loved. And even, even in some of those irritating moments and irritating situations, Father, teach us how to respond as Jesus did. Teach us how to love like Jesus loved. And I'm just going to invite you now just to take just a couple of minutes.